Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. I'm Scott Farrow. I'm Cade Barrett. And today we're joined by Jason Pritchard. Jason has been on the podcast before. He is a returning guest today to talk about objection handlers. Yeah, so today's conversation, we talk about the formula that we use when overcoming objections with sellers, how to navigate those conversations, and we go through a couple different examples of types of sellers and how to work around their conversations. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Jason, thanks for coming back on the podcast, man. Thank you guys for having me on. I enjoyed the uh, the first go-round, so I'm ready for round two. As we were discussing, we actually saw that your podcast, uh, your episode, is the number one listened to one, so we thought we'd have you back on and talk about some specific nitty-gritty stuff today. Cool. Yeah, let's get into it. I'm excited. Yeah, so I know today we wanted to talk about overcoming objections from sellers. Okay. So we work with sellers on a daily basis and we get objections all the time so jason what off the bat are some of the most common objections that you get when you're speaking with sellers uh a lot of times it has to do with price um and i think those can be more surface level objections too so that's something that everybody should keep in mind even though it's price sometimes there's other underlying issues that you need to dig down deep and those are usually dealing with um you know, things that they're, th problems that the seller is dealing with, right? And you've got to build mm -hmm. rapport to get down to the point where you can understand what that is. So uh, it can be things like price. Uh, it can be things like you don't have enough rapport with the seller, so they don't like and trust you enough to really get down to what the what the actual issue is. Um, I don't know. What are some of the other things that you guys are hearing when we're on the phone? Yeah, so let's take a step back. Let's talk about um, sellers. So yeah. when we talk about sellers, we have a couple different major situations. So I would say out of eight out of the 10 deals we do in a month or in a, you know, in a, in a time frame, I would say eight out of the 10 are going to be within a certain set of sellers. Number one, I think we see is going to be the distressed uh, rental property or an older landlord. So that's going to be somebody who doesn't live in the home. They've been renting this house out for a while. It needs some work and they're looking to go do something else with that money. So I would say that's probably the number one person that calls us. Yeah. Yeah. I would say tired landlords right now that are dealing with problematic tenants or just uh, the properties distressed is probably the, the, the biggest one we're dealing with right now. Okay. So that's, that's going to be number one. I want to talk about some of those specific. Okay. Uh, two is going to be, um, we get a lot of people who talk about probate who maybe don't know a ton about the probate. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but talk about maybe some of the stuff that we deal with with that. And then uh, if we have time, let's talk a little bit about somebody who's been living in the home, who's maybe under some financial distress, who needs to sell the home uh, for whatever reason and how we can help them and sure. solve those problems and also overcome the, the you know, all of the different, uh, you know, struggles that we have because ultimately we still do need to buy the house at a price that makes sense for both parties. Got it. Okay. Um, so let's start with uh, the, you know, distressed landlord. Okay. So... Uh, what, when you call, what would you say is the number one or not necessarily the number one, what's one of the major ones that you want to talk about when it comes to objections that you get? I think price is a big one, but okay. I think also just the fact that you're a stranger. So one of the things that people need to keep in mind is that when we're calling, uh, on our marketing list, we're essentially just telemarketing, right? And so what mm -hmm. I always ask you guys to do is put yourself in the shoes of the seller. And when you get telemarketed to for a product or service, generally speaking, you're not 
excited and open to speak to that person, right? So before you can even get down to talking about price or the situation or why they're motivated to sell, you've got to build rapport with them first, right? So we talk to them, we build some rapport, we get to know what's going on, uh, why they're motivated to sell. We do that by asking questions. And usually through that process, then we'll start to see what objections come up. And okay. so pricing is usually a big one. And a lot of times, you know, it's a numbers game. And with older landlords, their investors, usually they they care about the price and we've just got to be able to explain to them that we want to give them a fair price considering all the circumstances and, and making sure that they understand that this is a business for us and and we've got to be able to turn a profit okay so let's start with that then so say you called me sure and uh you know i pick up the phone i say hello you introduce yourself and i say you know who are you how do you handle the you know who are you who do you work for yeah, so what we train you guys to do and what I've always found is best is you have a very, very short window right at the beginning where you've got to get their attention mm -hmm. and you've got to be able to try to bring their walls or their defense down a little bit, right? And so what I like to do is try to, number one, not sound like a telemarketer, right? I want to sound like a normal human being, but you've also got to be getting to the point pretty quickly, right? You're not going to be able to sit there and chit-chat and dilly-dally around when they first answer mm -hmm. the phone. So first things first is we just say, hey, I was looking for Scott. Scott, I was calling you about your property on 1234 Main Street. I was actually thinking, I was actually calling to see if you'd ever thought at all about selling. Right? Who's this? Uh, and my name's Jason Pritchard. I'm a local investor from the Fresno area. My company buys three to five properties per month. Uh, we're actually looking to buy another property in your neighborhood. And uh, your house came up on our list today and we wanted to see if uh, you know, you'd ever thought about selling the place. So you said you wanna be quick, right? So you get to the point. So you say, my name is Jason. I'm a local investor. You just start with that. Yep. So say you're somebody else is listening to this podcast. They're going to be a new investor. They don't buy three to five properties. Sure. Uh, one of the topics that maybe they could say maybe is, you know, hi, I'm John. I'm a local investor. I'm calling because I'm actually looking to buy a property in your neighborhood right this minute. Is that work? Yeah. Well, how, would I you, think how would you phrase For that? people at the beginning, I can tell or I can understand why there's some nerves because maybe you haven't done a deal or you've only done a couple deal deals, so you can't really leverage prior track record, right? And I think in that situation, you just need to be authentic. And I believe being honest is always the best way to go. So what I used to say at the beginning when I first got into it is like, hey, my name's Jason. My wife and I, Jennifer, we're building our rental portfolio out and we're looking to buy another property in your neighborhood, right? And now I'm a normal person. I'm Perfect. talking about my wife. I'm talking about what we're wanting to do. And there's no, uh, I'm not uh, lying at all. I'm being truthful about what we're trying to do because that's what we're trying to do. And ultimately, I don't know that the seller really cares how many properties you're buying a month. They just want to know that you're a trustworthy person, right? And that they they can be open and honest with you about their situation. You've got to get there first if you really want yeah. to get down to why they're motivated to sell. Yeah. And I know a big thing um, that you instill in us too is not trying to hide anything or be deceptive, right? So there's this one thing that you always tell us. Yeah. So when we're talking to sellers, one of the, 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 the phrases or the, the, the lines that we use all the time is that Mr. or Mrs. Seller, we always believe in being honest and transparent, right? And we never try to hide the fact that we'd be buying the property for investment purposes. So that means we'd have to buy it at a price where we can purchase the home, fix it up, turn around and resell it and make a little bit of money. And as long as you're okay with that, uh, you know, this will be very easy to work with. And we understand that you want to make as much money as you possibly can from the, from the sale of the property, considering all the circumstances that we just talked about. You've got a bad tenant in there, or there's a lot of deferred maintenance, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. If we can get to an agreement on price and terms, 
that we both feel is a win-win scenario, this is going to be the easiest house that you ever sold. And if for some reason we can't, I guarantee you that you're going to feel better about what your potential plan B or C is going to be, even if it's not, doesn't involve a scenario where it's, you know, me and my company buying the house from you directly. Does that sound fair? Mm-hmm. And so we're just setting it up where there's no pressure. There's no, you know, we're not going, that's what I think people, when people get involved in a, like a sales conversation, I think a lot of times they're scared that the the salesperson is going to start putting the screws to them and they're only you know, the only way they can get a deal done is by just, you know, putting the screws and putting pressure on them. And I don't like to do that. I like to do it where it's an easy decision. And if it's a no, then it's a no. But if it's a yes, you know, we want to make it as easy as possible. Yeah. So when, so when somebody comes to you and, or at the start of a conversation, one of the the comments I get a lot is going to be, um, you know, are you just going to, are you just here to make a low ball offer? Are you here trying to, you know, just buy this for dirt cheap? Um, we have a response that we say, and you taught us that, um, it sounds like it's very similar to what you just said. Yeah. And I think here's the thing when you're handling objections, and this is what we talk to you guys about in a situation like that, where the seller says, Hey, are you just going to give me a lowball offer? Our response should be pointed and quick. And then we also need to bounce back to the very next most logical place in the conversation. And this is where people screw it up, right? So if you say to me, well, are all you going to do is just give me a lowball offer? My response is going to sound something like, no, Mr. Seller, our, our, our belief is that we should only be doing win-win scenarios and we want to make a fair offer considering, you know, all the circumstances surrounding the property. Now, is that property vacant or is it being rented out? Right? So the Mm -hmm. end is bouncing back to wherever the next most logical place is in that conversation. So it depends on where he inserted the objection, but you've got to overcome it and then you've got to bounce back. And a lot of times people overcome it, but then they stop talking and then it creates kind of like this awkward transition where nobody knows what to say next. Mm. So that's where you have to learn how to grab a hold of the conversation and steer it right back to where you left off. And if you can get good at doing that, you're going to get more and more progress with the, with the calls that you're making. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of price too, I know, um, another common objection Uh, and I actually got one of these on one of my investment calls the other day is when people ask like, yeah, I mean, you're probably just budgeting, you know, 30 grand profit for yourself. Is that right? Or like hand, how are you handling when people bring up the profit you're making, you're budgeting in for yourself? So what I try to do is tell them upfront, like, Hey, this is a business for me. And because it's a business, it's inherent that, you know, people go into business to make money, right? I, when you say that from the beginning, and you, you, what I like to do is take that objection off the table, right? So we're controlling the conversation. We're not waiting for the seller to uh, approach us and say, you know, why, you're going to make X or this, or you're probably going to make this. I see HGTV and they make all this money on TV, blah, 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 blah. When we are the ones bringing it up, we're the one controlling the conversation. And then you're taking that potential objection out of the seller's hands. And when you do it like that, I have never, I can't recall one scenario when I have said, hey, this is a business for me and I, I have to be able to make some money, but I get you want to make as much money as you as you can too, considering everything we talked about. I've never had them come back to me and say, well, you're probably going to make $40,000, right? Because it's logical, you know? And so it's it makes sense. But when you're trying to dance around that subject, ultimately the amount of money I make is irrelevant. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't even really like to get into discussions with sellers like that. It's, I think the conversation has probably gotten sideways if the seller is pushing back on you and saying, well, oh, you're probably going to make this or that. And the best way to not even put yourself in that scenario is from the beginning or early on in the conversation 
where it makes sense, you tell them like, hey, we've got to get it at a price where we can make some money. And we're not trying to hide the fact that we're that we're in it to make to make some money off this deal. But it's got to be a fair price for both of us. Perfect. Well, at the beginning, we were talking about, you know, one of the two big kind of groups of people that we're speaking to uh, groups of sellers. The first one was older landlords with, you know, probably distressed properties. So let's go into that a little bit. What is your, what do you see most when handling with older landlords? What is their biggest concern when you're speaking with them on the phone? So typically with landlords, um, they they don't want to give the property away right they're they're savvy they've probably been in the business you know they may own multiple properties so it's not like this is their first go around right so i think part of them inherently the price is going to be a consideration right but with older landlords i have typically found that it's not always just the price it's the convenience of the transaction itself right and then it's also working with somebody that's trustworthy so if you talk about convenience Sometimes, you know, they don't want to deal with like vacating the property, right? They don't want to deal with, um, you know, having to vacate it, get the tenant out of there. They're worried about the property just sitting there vacant. And so we've got to be able to overcome that. And so that's something that commonly comes up is how are we going to deal with the tenant and what are we going to do there? So that would be another thing besides price. Hmm. And so uh, you have these conversations and it sounds like there's a there's a formula to how you handle an objection. It sounds like it's acknowledgement, then the answer, and then the bounce back. Correct. Now, is that a universal objection theory? Like, can you use that for any aspect of any, almost any objection you have? It's always worked well for me. I think when you're dealing with difficult conversations in general, not just objections from sellers, right? But if you're Mm -hmm. having a difficult conversation with another real estate professional, and they're bringing up a concern and it's obvious they're very emotional or it's mm-hmm. something that's important to them. I think the, the, the best way to start that conversation is not by like being confrontational back and creating and raising the level of tension. It's by acknowledging whatever issue it is that they're bringing up, even whether you think it's valid or not, right? You just say, right. hey, I get it, I hear you. I can understand just based off of how you're communicating to me right now that this thing that we're talking about, it's an issue for you, right? So the first thing is the acknowledgement. And then you have to figure out whatever the response is going to be uh, to overcome that acknowledgement, right? Or overcome that issue. And then after that, it's transitioning back to the conversation and getting the conversation back on track. But I think it starts with that because people like to feel like they're being heard. Nobody likes to be talked over, mm-hmm. especially in a, a conversation where it's getting heated. They want to feel like the other person is listening to them. And I think that's a good way to, to, to make sure that they know they're being heard. Okay. Well, very nice. So when, uh, when, you, when you start this conversation, a lot of the times the objections happen. The objections in a conversation for real estate investing happen in two spots. Mm-hmm. It's the introduction and it's after the information gathering. Um, one of the very big uh, conversations people are, one of the big objections people will get the most frequently if they just start out cold calling is going to be, how did you get my phone number? Correct. Can you kind of identify your solution to that question and how you kind of help build the barrier or break down the barrier and build rapport with the client? Usually the canned response is something along the lines of, Hey, you know what? We just searched public records and we were able to see based off of that search that you were the owner of the property and those public records also had your phone number. So that's why we reached out. Right. Okay. But the, I, what I feel is an even better way to say that same exact response is to say something along the lines of like, hey, you know what? 
you know the internet nowadays, man. Like everybody's information is online. I typed your name in there really quick. It showed your phone number. I figured I'd just give you a call, right? Doesn't that sound like a little bit more like, hey, this is me just talking to my buddy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it's not like me here trying to cold call you about mm -hmm. buying a house. And I think at first you have to use the canned response because you have to get good at delivering that response. Mm -hmm. So then that way, when you know that it comes up, you're comfortable in just being able to rattle it off and then bounce back and transition back to the next lo most logical place. But once you get really good at that, you've got to figure out a way to deliver that in a more casual way. And I think can't sound like a telemarketer. you can't sound like some robot, you know, it's just, that's, that's the thing that I think, and it takes time and it takes a lot of practice to get comfortable enough to the point where you can go into a call mentally and feel like no nerves, no, um, you know, no reservations, no anything. It's just like, Hey, I'm just picking up the phone and I'm calling my buddy. That's mentally where you need to be at. So you're going to get further if you can start from that space mentally and that takes a lot of practice and a lot of time, a lot of reps on the phone before you can get there. Yeah. So you've also instilled in us and all of us know that the money's in the follow-up. Correct. Right. So it, when you've introduced yourself to the seller that, you know, hi, this is Jason, blah, 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 blah. Are you interested in selling your property on 1234 Main Street? Yes. And the seller goes, no, or no, not right now. A lot of people, and you've told us this too, will just in the conversation there and then they'll throw that lead away. Yeah. What do you do? How do you navigate the conversation after they say no? No. So the first, the first response should be if they're like, no, we're not going to sell now. My immediate response is okay. Maybe in the future, just like that. And you, you ask in a question, but you have to inflect your voice higher a little bit at the end. Like, okay, maybe in the future like that. And you put the ball back in their court and they've got to think about it a little bit, right? The seller's got to think like, well, do I want to sell it in the future? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in a year or something like that. Great. You know, and I don't want to bug you to death, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, but I want you to know that we're very serious about our business. Do I have your permission to give you a call in maybe six to nine months just to check in and see how things are going? Right. And when you when you ask for permission for the follow up and you word it in that way where it's it's being persistent, but not being pushy. Right usually they will they will go along with that. I would say eight or nine times out of 10, they're gonna say, look, yeah, sure, that's fine. And then you've gotta set a reminder. And what we always say is whatever time frame they give you, just cut it in half. So if they say six months, just set the reminder for three months because when you call them in three months, they're not even gonna remember you anyway. So mm -hmm. what's the difference, right? So that's what we always do. Hmm. Perfect. So moving on to the second group of sellers that we were talking about earlier. So the first was older landlords and the second is probate. So Scott, I know you um, have a lot of experience and deal with the probate. And Jason, what do you see most in probate situations with probate sellers? So with probate sellers are very emotionally charged because a lot of times it's a friend or a, a family member, um, mm. you know, where the, the person has passed away and you're reaching out and marketing to whoever the decision maker for the estate is, right? And so you've got to you've got to tread lightly when you're first initiating those calls, but I think once you can kind of get past that piece and you determine that the seller's motivated to actually sell the property, the probate sellers, I think a lot of times they're looking for more convenience than anything else. The price is is still important, but there's other logistical things that sometimes are in the way that are that may 
motivate them to sell for a lower price if you can make it an easy transaction. Mm -hmm. So the example that I always use is we mail out our probate mailers basically every 30 days, right? And if you're an executor for this, for you know the estate of whoever, you're going to get a letter from us. And the letter's a professional letter. It's typed. It's with my logo. Uh, you know, I like sending those, and I've had better response rate with those than just simple postcards. And it acknowledges their situation, number one. And it basically just says, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, we understand that losing a loved one can be a very difficult time. We've been made aware via public records that you are the executor for the state of John Doe. And it names the person that passed away right there. So it looks like we've kind of done our homework. We want you to know that you do have some options when it comes to selling the real estate associated with the estate. And if you're interested in a no obligation cash offer that involves us buying the property, closing quickly, um, you not paying any commissions or closing costs, please reach out to us and we'd be happy to talk to you a little bit more about how that works, right? And if you live in Florida and your mom's uh, just passed away and she's got a house in Fresno and you've got wife and kids and family in Florida, do you really want to take like the last two weeks of vacation that you have from your regular job to fly all the way to Fresno, clean out mom's house, sell everything, then hire a contractor to fix everything up and then hire a real estate agent to sell it? Or would you be willing to just say, hey, this guy, Jason, I'll hear him out and see what he has to say. And if I can get, you know, cash in, in my bank in 10 days and without having to do anything, that might be, you know, an option that I'm willing to entertain. And that's how we approach the situation. So my experience with probate is that you have to really establish rapport. Correct. Um, and so how, how we've done that in the past is whenever we get a phone call, we have it set up so we know it's a probate call, yeah. right? And so that's, that's a topic for another day. But when we go into this, we go into a mindset, understanding that they're probably calling from an emotional state and that ultimately there are people who are out there that probably have annoyed them and, you know, probably aren't coming from necessarily the same mindset that we are, which is we're coming from a mindset that we're here to help and we're here to provide a solution. And so the way that I've handled it in the past is when I answer the phone and they say, you know, do you work with Jason? Are you Pinnacle Investments? Take me off the list. I'm tired of getting, you know, a mailer because we send these and it yeah. takes time for somebody to process a real estate transaction for a loved one. Yeah. Um, we always handle it with the mindset of, hey, I understand that you're probably in a spot right now where you don't really want to talk to a stranger about your mom's house. And I understand that it's a very emotional transaction. We just want you to know that we're here in the situation that you decide you do want to sell the home and you maybe are interested in getting a cash offer that though it might not net you the same amount, will be a hundred times easier and something that we can help coach you through. So if you, if you listen to what you just said right now, you started with the acknowledgement, right? So you started with acknowledging whatever issue it was that they mm -hmm. had, right? So they're, they're unhappy because they're getting bombarded with mailers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you acknowledge that and then you overcome the objection by just mm -hmm. saying like, hey, look, listen, and then you go into you know the solution that you can provide and then you let them know by transitioning back to like, hey, we're here for you. If you're interested mm -hmm. in selling it, we'd love to sit down and talk to you about what your options are, right? right? And I think when you're talking to probate sellers, the best way to overcome their objections is be able to speak intelligently about the process that they're going through because mm -hmm. the, the probate process is very different than dealing with a landlord. There's, you know, there's, different hoops that they have to jump through. And you, if you can speak intelligently about where they're at in the process and talk to them about, you know, do they have their letters of administration? Have they talked to their attorney? Has the probate referee come out and given a value on the property yet, right? And you can say things like that, all of a sudden you're now in a position of authority. Mm -hmm. And they, 
you're not just some you know person picking up the phone and calling you're a professional that can speak intelligently about their situation and maybe when they hear things like that they may be opening up to talking to you right because sometimes with their attorney they're afraid to call because they're getting billed for every time that they call them right and so you know this is just a second person that can maybe answer some questions for me and if that's all we do there's no obligation no strings attached right hmm. and but by doing that that's what helps to get in rapport with situations like that and so say Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, you know, say that you're a, a newer investor and you don't know that kind of information. Your your meetup, Central California Real Estate Meetup Group, has had talks on the probate process. I bet that there's a plethora of information online about it. Not knowing is not an excuse. So where would you go? Just because you don't know, number one. So everybody knows that. I didn't know anything about how probate worked when it first started, and now it's one of the most successful. But it took years to get to that point. It's one of the most successful marketing channels that we have, but there was a lot of self-education that had to do it. So where would we go? Uh, the internet is a great place to start. There's uh, YouTube videos, there's podcasts, there's the Bigger Pockets Forum. There's all these places where you can go and engage other people to ask questions, right? So that would be number one. I would say your local real estate investing community, networking with other investors that are willing to talk to you and maybe educate you a little bit, right? Um, and then going to maybe probate attorneys specifically, right? And networking with them. And that requires you getting outside of your comfort zone. That requires you going out and reaching out to other people. And not everybody's going to be responsive. But if you do it enough, you, I guarantee you, you will find somebody that will kind of help you steer. And then you got to go do the work. Mm-hmm. And then you got to send the mail and mm-hmm. then you got to answer the calls and then you've got to fumble your way through those initial calls where you're not good and you're not going to sound very good. And the sellers are going to hang up on you because, you know, it doesn't sound like you know what you're talking about because you don't really know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it just takes time to, you know, gain enough experience and confidence to get to the point where then you can start speaking from a position of authority. OK, so making sure you're doing your homework and making sure you're putting in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's good at yeah. anything when they first start. It takes time. And so if you put in the effort, you'll get better. Yeah. I think the big difference between the landlord situation and the probate situation, a landlord, a lot of their objections are about the real estate property. It's about uh, the price, the terms, the condition and things of that sort. I think the probate, a lot of the times it's about you. And I think at most probate situations, they already have decided that they're going to sell and they are looking to a professional simply to give them a price mm-hmm. and to give them education on how to get it done. Um, I think somebody who's a good mix of that is going to be the the owner-occupied, financially distressed situation. So I, I, if you don't mind, I want to talk about that for a second. Sure. Uh, when I say uh, owner-occupied, financially distressed situation, I'm specifically talking about uh, you sending out a piece of mail or you have a bandit sign and somebody calls you. And they say, hey, I need to sell my house quick and I need to sell it for cash as is because X, Y, or Z. They need to pay some medical bills off. They need to you know, go do this, that, or they're just tired of their situation and they need to get out of it. Um, one of the big questions that they might have is how soon can you close? Yeah. How do you handle that? Uh, I, we can close whenever it's convenient for you. Okay. So the quickest, the fastest that I've ever closed a deal is like four days. So I'll say that. So I said, if you need money in four days, you know, like we can we can have that discussion. That's the fastest that I've ever done it. But it's always about you. What time frame would you like to close? Hmm. Right. And do you see how if they're putting a potential objection or something up there, 
all we do is just put the ball back in their court with the form of a question to say, I can close whenever it's convenient for you. It's not about me. I'll buy the house whenever you're ready, right? What would be a time frame that would work for you, Mr. Mm. Seller? Okay. And then they've got to think, right? And the more that they're thinking and the more that they're talking subconsciously, they feel more comfortable with you guys sitting across the table and discussing this, right? They're like, man, this guy, Jason, he's good. I don't know. There's something about him. I just like him. He's really easy to talk to. And all we're doing is just asking open-ended questions to get them to tell us a little bit more about what's going on. We're gathering information and then we're providing a solution for them. Okay. So he goes, he asks price or time. You say, it's your time. Yeah. And then, you know, just to challenge that thought, um, okay, then what can you offer me? Wait, if I haven't seen the house, I'm going to say, you know what? It's really difficult for me to give you a, a fair offer without seeing the property or knowing more about the condition. Did you have a price in mind that you think would work for you? So it's the same thing. It's always, we never want to give a price, especially on a property. Like the, one of the lines that I use is like, you ask, okay, they ask me for a price. Well, you, you know, just give me a price, throw me a price. You sent me this postcard. Why don't you just give me a price? It's obvious, blah, 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 right? You deal with that. You get, I get that, that sometimes, a lot. right? And I'll just say, you know what? In order for me to give you a fair price without, no, with, without seeing the property, excuse me, let me rewind that. It's hard for me to give you a fair price without seeing the property or knowing some of the things that you're dealing with right now. That would be like me asking you how much you're going to pay me for my house, right? So why don't you tell me a little bit more about what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a, another example of what we talked about earlier where you're over overcoming an objection, but I'm doing it in a way where it's more conversation and casual and it feels very easy for me. And I don't sound like robotic or you're mo- monotonous or anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like we're talking. So hmm. I think you've got to first thing is learn how to overcome the objections. And then the next thing is learn how to deliver it in a way where it's smooth and easy and non-confrontational. And you're just kind of putting it back in the seller's court. So you've stressed the importance of what I'm about to say to me, especially because I know I had this issue when I first started calling and I still have it now. So acknowledging the objection, putting the ball back in their court. And then the phrase that always comes to mind for me is you telling us to shut up and listen to what they have to say. Yeah. Do you mind reiterating and stressing the importance of why why that's important? So I've done a lot of sales and sales management even prior to getting into the real estate business for 15 years at two different large companies. That's all that I did. And uh, we spent a lot of time talking to people on the phone. So what we would do when we were training people when they were making calls is the company would record all the calls and then we'd get audio file of every single call and we'd sit down in a training session and we would play the audio file. And the audio file was like color coded. So you would see kind of the marker going along and it would be green when the seller or the prospect was talking and it'd be, it would be red when the salesperson was talking, right? And we always tried to shoot for 75-25. We wanted it to be green 75% of the time and red 25% of the time because that means that the seller is the one talking. They're the one giving the information to us. And just subconsciously what happens is the seller feels more comfortable when they're talking more, right? And the reason why we say shut up and listen is because as soon as you ask the question, especially with new salespeople or new agents or new investors or whatever, they, they're nervous when it gets quiet. And so they try to fill that void by just talking and steamrolling the seller. And it's, it becomes too much and you're not building rapport when you're just spouting off information or just talking. So you've got to get good at asking a question and then stop and listen. What we do and I've been doing this with some of the agents on the team is when we're talking and we're doing calls and I'm listening into calls, we mute 
our phone. So then that way, when the seller's done talking, we actually have to physically unmute the phone and it gives an extra second because a lot of times when the sellers don't hear you immediately jumping in, they'll just keep going, right? So you ask a question, talk, mute yourself, let them talk, 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 and then even that extra half a second or a second to have to unmute the phone, you'll be surprised how much longer you can get the conversation mm -hmm. to go because the seller will just want to interject because nobody likes awkward silences, right? Neither yeah. the seller doesn't and we don't, right? So we want them to be doing all the talking. You know, what's also funny is I think a lot of people don't understand is when you have an objection handler, especially one about price or about something that means a lot to the person mm -hmm. that's selling, the silence is them thinking and it's important because it allows them to actually analyze what you just said and start coming to reality. And so one of the things that you and I talked about when I first started was the first person that talks loses. And so you handle the objection and they say, you know what, uh, you know, what's your price, blah, blah, blah. We talk, we go back and forth. I say, what do you want? He says, 140. They say, I'd love to pay you 140. And in fact, if I could, I would accept that offer right this second. Yeah. But based off of what I'm seeing, it looks like it needs this, that, and this. That being said, if I could make this deal come together and I could have this close in two weeks, just like you want, I'll take it with the tenant. I'll do everything, including paying for all the closing costs. What is the lowest price you're willing to consider? And then shutting up and just sitting there. And it, it might take 10, 15 seconds, but that's them mentally coming to the conclusion. Yes. What is the lowest price? Yeah. You have to back the seller down from the price. Of course, the seller wants top dollar. Like I don't blame them for wanting that, right? Zillow says their houses were 200. Why shouldn't they ask for 200, right? Unless there's something crazy going on. I think nine times out of 10, it's normal for that, right? And your job is to condition the seller to understand why you are not able to pay 200,000 for the house, mm -hmm. right? And so the line that I always use, and you said it too, is, you know, 200,000, that's a great price. And honestly, Mr. Seller, if you have somebody that's willing to pay you 200,000 for it. this house, I would highly suggest in my professional opinion, you should take that because that would be not a win-win scenario like we talked about earlier. That would be you winning and that would be a losing scenario for me because if I buy it for 200, all the other houses in the neighborhood are only selling for 215, 220 and I still got to fix it up. I still have to account for closing costs and holding costs and all these other things associated with buying, fixing and selling the property and making money. And at that point, I'm going to be losing money. So, you know, it's got to be something that works for both of us. Right. So my price is going to be here. How do you feel about that number? Right. And then that's when the negotiation starts. Now that's when the shut up takes place. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Would that be a price that you would even consider? Yeah. That's important. I think all of those different tips. So, you know, just to recap, one of the big things people should be really listening to here when dealing with an objection, it doesn't matter which objection it is. It's identify their problem, acknowledge it, respond to it, give a concise one to two sentence, one to two sentence answer mm -hmm. explaining your position. And then three, ask them, you know, put it back in their court. Transition back. Yeah, right. that's it. Yep. I think that's how you overcome objections. It's the acknowledgement, providing the explanation or the solution, and then the transition back to the next most logical place in the conversation. And you have to have up. all three in order to get your conversations to, to go where you want them to go. Before we wrap up, I want to ask a little bit of a fun question. So what is the most outrageous objection or conversation that you've had with a seller 
and that you've dealt with on the phone? I've heard a lot of crazy stuff. I've heard it's all over the spectrum too. So I've, I've got, I've get a lot of calls and you guys are fielding more of the calls now than I am. So I get a lot of the calls from people that get upset that we're even mailing them something. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's always been weird to me because it's like we get, everybody gets mail. So it's like, do you call like pizza hut and get angry that they sent you a postcard to get it? You know, you know what I mean? Like it just, does, none of that makes sense to me. So there's that. And normally when people are mad, like, I don't let that get me mad anymore. So we just acknowledge and we just say, hey, look, we're sorry. You know, if you, if you want us to remove you from the list, just give me the mailing address. We'll take you off. We don't want to spend the money on the mail if you're not interested in selling. And we acknowledge it and we, and we go from there. Um, I think uh, the things for me that th like look back, we had a, a deal that we just recently closed where uh, another member of the team, Bailey, had fielded the call. And um, we ended up having like almost a 45 minute conversation with the seller at the very beginning. And she was going into her whole, basically her whole life story, just talking about everything that happened with her uh, husband that had recently passed away and some of the financial issues that she was dealing with. And those are the best ones because when you can have a seller that's willing to just talk and talk and talk, you got to be efficient with your time. But those are the ones where you can just interject really quick and then sit back and let them go and let that kind of process of the rapport, the rapport building, it almost takes care of itself. And we ended up doing a deal that uh, you know was great. It ended up working out for her. We ended up wholesaling it and, and, and making a good profit on it. And uh, it was a win-win for everybody. Everybody walked away feeling good. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jason, thanks again for coming on. The first podcast definitely meant a lot to a lot of people. It seems like they got a lot of value out of it. Hopefully, this is going to teach them a lot about the more actual conversation structure now that they know where they need to be coming from. Um, is there anything else when it comes to objections, objection handling, or anything else that you can think of that you would like to share before we wrap up? No, I think for me, one of the things that made the transition from my prior you know, work experience or my prior corporate jobs to real estate, one of those things that made it very easy for me was that I had a lot of sales, of ex sales experience coming into this, right? And so once I realized how a real estate transaction actually worked, I, I said all my old natural instincts kicked in. And so for me, it was like, this is the same thing I've been doing for 15, 16 years. I'm just speaking a different language. And so once I understood the language, then I took a leap, right? For a lot of people that are not coming from a sales background, you have to actually put in work to be good at having really effective interpersonal communication skills. So if you're coming from a a career where you're just sitting in a cubicle and you don't have a lot of face-to-face -face interaction or you're not in a sales-based job and it's just you, you know, working, you know, uh, you know, on a computer coding or an engineer or something like that, you've got to invest time, right? And so it's not just learning how to do deals, but it's learning how to effectively communicate with people. And I think you've got to invest some time and effort into that. And then you've got to put in work and then you've got to make the calls and then you've got to do it consistently. And if you can do those things, you'll eventually get the result that you're looking for. Perfect. Kate, any other questions? No. That's awesome. it for me, man. Good deal. Jay, thanks for coming in. Uh, if somebody has questions specifically about any of these objections and whatnot, uh, when, where and when can they find you at your meetup, things of that sort? Yeah, the meetup, we run a meetup uh, once a month. Everything's gone virtual because of the COVID stuff. So hopefully eventually we'll be able to start doing that in person. And then social media, uh, it's just my name, Jason Pritchard on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I try to be as responsive as I can to messages. So feel free to reach out to me. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thank Good. you guys. Thank right. you.
Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Pursuit of Property podcast with Jason Pritchard. As always, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, or would like to hear more about how we talk with sellers and overcome objections, please reach out to us at pursuitofproperty at gmail.com or reach out to any one of us on social media. 